The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org. To hear from some of you about how that was, the walking, and also, if you have any questions, um, you're welcome to ask those questions at this point, too. So uh, we will use the mics for this. For today, I'm recording everything that we're doing during the week, um, during the groups in the morning and evening, aside from the talks. I won't be recording what you're saying, So um, that's. but I do like to do it for today. So... Um, we have these mics, there's a button on the side, and when you push it, there's a green light that goes on. And these mics are kind of sensitive. I'm gonna up the volume on this one a little bit, it's not that loud. Okay, great, thank you, Diana. Um, and they're, they're, ve they're very sensitive in that you kind of have to talk right into the top of the mic like this. If you do this, it's not as loud, this works better, and if you're doing this, it doesn't work either. So there's one mic there, and I'll put this one out on the on the ground also. So any questions? Yeah. I don't think I understand what is meant by mindfulness as you're moving through space, what it is you're attending to. Is it the sensations of, say, the air on your body? Is it the f internal m sense of movement. If you could clarify that, I'd be grateful. Thank you. So, um, what did you notice? A lot of different things, uh, but they were related to the senses often. You know, the, I, I noticed things that I was seeing as I was moving that were more obvious as I was moving than they would have been had I, you know, they were evident because I was moving. Uh -huh. I was noticing the act of moving within my body, the sensations of picking up a leg, but I was also noticing the breeze on my skin. Those are the variety of things. So there's the no right answer. It's whatever you notice in the movement that's connected to movement. So all of those things can be noticed. And what I would say is that um, not to um, try to latch on to any one thing as being, oh, this is what I pay attention to in that. Because what I've seen for myself is that, I mean, like, when I first started noticing movement, it was more the kind of obviousness of arms swinging or just a kind of, a, you know, the legs moving or the feeling of the breeze or, you know, just things like that were, were what was obvious. But then over time, there were some subtler kinds of, of sensations and experiences that were also associated with movement. And if I had latched on to just the, you know, what I pay attention to is the swinging of the arms or the feeling of the breeze, I wouldn't have noticed that. So just be open to, okay, moving. I'm, I'm noticing movement. What's, what's, what's available to be known? And it sounds like you noticed quite a bit. So I would encourage that and then not, not need to have like a sense of this is what I pay attention to. Thank you for the question. Yeah, over here. So 
I'm a really visual person, and what I realized was I had a lot of contact with the ground and also with the movement and feeling my limbs moving through space and feeling the breeze. I could connect to mindfulness pretty well with that. But the minute I would sort of open my eyes and look, it would be, oh, what's that? Or look at that color. Or, oh, that's interesting. Or what is that for? Yeah. It would just get my mind really engaged. Well, so this is one of the things that we begin to recognize. We all have various doorways, and seeing is one for a lot of us where we tend to get lost in that doorway. Now, the, the work that we're doing this week isn't to say, oh, I get lost in seeing. Let me not pay attention to that. The question is, how do I learn to, pay, to be mindful while that's happening. How do I... Because if we cannot be mindful while seeing, that basically means we can't be mindful in our daily lives. <laughs> so so it's, it's an exploration. And you're seeing... Basically, it sounds like you were aware of seeing and then aware of how quickly the mind would pick up on wanting to comment about what you were seeing. And so you were noticing the seeing and then the, the kind of the commentary that came with it. So, so that sounds like a good place to start with that. Not to say, oh, I shouldn't include that doorway because I get lost there, but to just see if you can be, um, you might be interested in um, what kinds of things do you comment on? I mean, is it, is it um, things that are beautiful, things that are ugly, things you like, things you don't like? Um, you just just that kind of that kind of exploration. So I would encourage you because it sounds like you actually did have some mindfulness in the seeing. Yeah. yeah. And then in the back. Um, I noticed a couple things. One uh, similarly with seeing, um, I would notice something in and start to sort. I wanted a story about it, like that house is so cute and the garden is so adorable and look at the car. I wonder what, who, who lives there and what is their life like? And I just sort of imagine, you know, this lovely story of, you know, the people who live there. And then I was like, oh, I'm, I'm creating a story about, <laughs> about this, this imaginative world of um, these people I'm imagining. Um, another thing that I noticed was... Um, I was quick to take pleasure or assign pleasure or aversion to something, and I noticed it in particular with hearing. So I went from, oh, I'm hearing things, to I don't really want to hear the cars so much, so I'm going to try to go to a street where there's not so much traffic. Uh-huh, uh-huh. <laughs> or I, it's really sunny here, and so I'm going to try to find a street that has shade. <laughs> so I went from like hearing and feeling to... I like or dislike this sensation, and so I'm going to try to get away from it and find some place that I like better. Yeah, and, and that's really useful to see. And, um, you know, this is, that's the edge, actually. That's the edge where we shift from just knowing what's happening to suffering about it. And what I would say is that in noticing that, for instance, in noticing that the body gets hot in the sun, um, it doesn't mean that you have to keep walking in the sun. <laughs> but to know kind of the unpleasantness of that, the sense of, um, you know, the, 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 and sometimes the, even the feeling of, of suffering of it, and then recognizing that there can be a choice. And, that, and when we make choices, those choices can be out of greed or aversion, and they can also be out of compassion. 
And so you might just explore that edge of when you notice that you're going to make a choice that's out of a kind of habitual greed or aversion. You know, we're going to have mixed motivations. We're going to, we're going to have those motivations come up. You know, it's, it, we're not going to like the heat. We're going to want to change it. And so there is some greed and aversion in there. But, w- you know, there's also a sense of compassion for this being that um, is getting overheated and might be useful, supportive for this being to be in the shade. And so they're both in there. And we may be able to kind of land on or connect with that side of... Um, Actually, it would, it would be supportive to move to the shade and clearly know the aversion and the greed that are happening at the same time, you know, so that you're not denying that they're there and you're clearly acknowledging that, but then also recognizing that just because greed and aversion are there doesn't mean that we shouldn't take some action. <laughs> so, and, and sometimes, though, I mean, there are times when we see like the, the hearing thing, you know, the, the not liking the car sound. That is probably more um, views and beliefs than it is actually anything inherent in the sound of car versus bird. You know, it's, it's just our ideas about preferring nature to machine. Uh, unless the sound is, is extremely loud, it's probably just a preference. And in that case, it might be useful to explore well, let's see what happens if I just see if I can meet that experience as just another sound. So, there's, you know, there's different times where we can recognize whether it's actually time to take action or whether it's kind of more preference. Well, what I did notice when I made a judgment about the cars, it didn't bother me as much. I'm like, uh-huh. oh, I'm just hearing. Judging, exactly. It's- it's not it's quite, that big of a deal. <laughs> it's quite amazing how recognizing what's going on in our minds <laughs> changes the dynamic. So you see, you hear the sound, and then you recognize, oh, don't like that. Oh, not liking is happening. And, and there you're recognizing that that's just a natural response to something that you're recognizing is unpleasant. And it's like, oh, well, it's, it's actually not that big a deal. So, yeah, thank you. And then one more, yeah. So let me see if I can f- make uh, ask this whatever is like getting my attention in the mind. So what you said about knowing that that moment in which you see the knowing and the suffering. Um, if we get involved in the content of what is happening. Are we adding to our suffering? Are we, are we adding in that moment? Are we getting lost in the suffering? What, it just got my attention of, um, well, we notice diversion, we notice whatever is happening, and then we make choices. And with that, I'm also interested in seeing what is the suffering that I'm adding yes. to it. So I would say that much of the time when we um, are thinking about <laughs> when you know we're thinking about something um, uh, what was the language you used um, you're noticing the suffering and it's, it's something about the adding but before that 
the the what you said about knowing and knowing of the experience and then seeing the suffering and at that moment you know you can make a choice about this being out of compassion or out of yes yes um but then i also want to see if that is the suffering of the of the actual experience that is happening or if i get involved in the story so getting involved in it yes yeah so um no, if you're involved in a story and are not aware that you're involved in the story, the likelihood is high that there is suffering happening. It won't always be. Because sometimes our minds can kind of go, go off into a direction that's not suffering, but actually our minds can find their way into wisdom when we're not consciously aware of it and then we'll wake up and understand something new and so that can happen so I don't want to always say always 100% of the time that when we are kind of absorbed in a narrative that it will be suffering but I'd say 90, 99% of the time it is um, so when, when, our, when we're lost in it we are probably suffering at some level um, may or may not be obvious what that suffering is because sometimes we're lost in a story of isn't it going to be so great when I get this thing in the future and it feels like a pleasant fantasy and so you know you wake up into that and it doesn't particularly feel like suffering but um, you know the the mind is kind of leaping over and, and like leaning into wanting something and if we can open to that feeling of wanting you'll you'll experience or know the suffering that's there so what I'd encourage is when you, when you notice that moment of choice, um, when you notice, for instance, that your mind has gotten kind of pulled into a story or a narrative, I'd encourage you to be curious, is there suffering here? And, and let that be your guide. Um, it, 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 may, it may or may not be obvious, but be curious about it and also recognize that, as I said, 99% of the time when you're lost in a story, there probably is suffering. So, you know, just, just be curious about what that might be. And if you can't find it, though, you don't have to go digging for it. So, so just like in that moment, it's like, oh, well, okay, well, don't particularly feel suffering here, but what's here now? You know, so just drop back into what is obvious, what's clear here in this moment. And, and that may also be a clue to whether they're suffering or not. Yeah. So um, I want to move on to um, talking about some supports for daily life practice, for being mindful in the midst of our daily lives. It's not easy, as I said earlier. It's not easy to be mindful in the midst of our activities. Um, when we're sitting in meditation, we've got all kinds of reminders that help us remember. When we get lost in thought, that help us remember what we're doing. I mean, we're sitting here with our eyes closed, perhaps. Bodies in an unusual posture. And so when we notice that our mind is lost in thought and we wake up, it's like there's all these reminders that are, are telling us, oh, you got lost. 
your mind got, got pulled into some narrative. And so it's relatively easy, and, and you can see how hard it is in sitting to remember, right? You can see how hard it is in sitting to even remember um, about mindfulness. In daily life practice, those supports pretty much go away. Um, you know, so we can easily get lost in some narrative and wake up and then, you know, not even know that we've been lost. So it's helpful to have some tools, and and I'm going to offer a few tools to support you in recognizing how much our minds get lost. So the... the, um, There's a couple of pieces I'm going to suggest that will add some light structure to your day that will kind of be along the lines almost of the sitting, that will just begin to help you to recognize or remember or recognize that you haven't been mindful. So um, the first one is looking for or choosing some simple activity that you do regularly through your day. Some really simple thing. Um, and, and I'd say it should happen at least two or three times an hour for the bulk of your day. Might be um, standing up from be- sitting down or sitting down from standing up. It might be um, reaching for something. Reaching is a hard one. You reach way more than two or three times an hour. <laughs> You reach a lot. We all reach a lot. Um, and yet, you know, it can be, it can be um, a, useful, a useful exploration. Maybe reaching for something in particular like water, drinking water. If you have a, a glass of water nearby that you regularly drink from like two or three times an hour, that can be a good one, picking up a glass to drink. Um, well, somebody, somebody picked, you know, touching pieces of paper as... as a, as, a, as an exercise one time. So something that happens regularly through your day. Also, if you spend a lot of time during the bulk of your day on the computer, you could pick some simple activity like um, you know, changing apps or uh, sending email or something very discreet that, that you do. I like to encourage this action, this activity, to be something you initiate as opposed to, for instance, setting a timer two or three times an hour to create a bell that helps you remember to be mindful. You're welcome to do that too. You are welcome to do that too. But it's useful to have this exercise be something you initiate because it's often in the initiation of something that we get lost. And so that's, this, is a, this is a kind of a little bit of an encouragement to connect with the initiation of an action. And with that initiation of an action, it's, it's, a, it's a function of our minds that initiates an action. Our bodies don't initiate action. Our minds initiate action with an impulse, an intention in our minds. And this, this seeing the intention, recognizing that there is this impulse to act, to do something, is a very helpful um, field of practice for daily life. It's, I'm going to talk about it more later in the week. Um, I have some handouts for you. I, I may not quite have enough of them. I'll have to make some more. Um, but I'm also going to post these on the 
the, um, the, the internet, there'll be PDF files. So if those of you who prefer PDF files, um, they'll be available. And the handout talks quite a bit about this intention piece, noticing this intention. But I'm not going to speak about that too much today. I'll cover that more as we go along in the week. But this is part of why it's helpful to pick something that you initiate, because it begins to help you see that moment where your mind is saying, oh, I'm going to do that. I'm going to have that drink of water. And it kind of opens a, a, a doorway into seeing a whole host of motivations and um, beliefs, views, ideas that motivate or kind of create that impulse to happen. So picking something that you are initiating is, is an important piece of this. So what I'd like to encourage is that you pick something and then... An important piece of this practice is also to, um, to remind yourself or to connect with, to set the intention here, to set, to set the kind of agenda for yourself for the week. This is an activity I want to remember. I want to try to remember when I'm reaching for a glass. I want to try to remember when I'm standing up or when I'm clicking send for an email. Maybe remind yourself of that a couple times a day, that this is something that you want to do. Because as we start this, you will not remember it more than you remember it. And that's not a problem. It's actually part of the way this works. Um, So you've got this kind of agenda in your mind or this kind of idea. I want to remember to be aware of standing up. And then what happens is um, as we're going through our day, we, uh, at some point, will, because we've got this project or this task in our minds, at some point we'll recognize, or that task will kind of, some, for some reason, it'll come into our minds, and we'll recognize, oh, I have not thought about that once this whole morning. I stood up at least five times this morning and didn't notice one of them. When you notice that moment of remembering that you've forgotten. That's when the whole thing can start. That's kind of like the moment. If you're sitting in meditation and you've got the idea or the agenda to pay attention to the breath, when you notice, oh, the mind's been wandering, I haven't been paying attention to the breath, then we, we recognize we haven't been aware. And so it's kind of a, it's a reference point for our day to help us kind of recognize oh, this whole morning went by and I didn't notice that once. In that moment when you recognize that you didn't notice your task once, that moment when you notice that, that is a moment of mindfulness. That's like the mind returning from wandering in our sitting practice. Maybe it'll only happen two or three times a day for the first day. And yet that's a moment when you can consciously connect with, oh, I'm mindful. And in that moment, notice what you're aware of. Just like, this is, I'm, I'm aware right now, and what's happening? What, what am I doing? What, how am I? That could be the question. How am I right now? What's happening? And then I would say, don't try to hold on to the mindfulness at that point. Um, what I've seen in daily life practice, both in my own and in supporting others, is that if you try to hold on to mindfulness, like picking it up like a backpack and say, I'm going to be mindful all day long, 
it gets exhausting. And it feels like what, what I hear, have people say to me when they're trying to do it that way is like, I don't have time to be mindful. I don't have time to be mindful. I've got other things I need to pay attention to. And that's true. We have things that we need to pay attention to. And if we're trying to do mindfulness at the same time, our minds don't quite have the bandwidth to do the things we need to do and do the mindfulness. But this moment when mindfulness returns spontaneously in this way, this is a moment of effortless mindfulness. You didn't have to do that one. It's very like the moment in sitting when we, we wake up. It's a, it's, a, it's a spontaneous moment of mindfulness returning. It's a great moment to recognize. It's a great moment to connect with because that's a, a pointer. It's a kind of a, an indication or a pointer to the possibility for just waking up into what's happening in this moment. I'm walking across the street and I remembered, I hadn't remembered standing up. In that moment, I'm aware of walking across the street in a very simple way. You don't have to try to like dive in and say, oh, you know, it, it doesn't have to become a walking meditation at that point. It could, it might, but it doesn't have to. You know, you don't have to try to dive in and say, you know, what does it mean to be walking? It's just like, oh, I know that I'm walking. I'm aware that I'm walking. I'm, awareness is here. So in that moment when you remember that you've forgotten your task, notice that moment of effortless awareness and what is obvious in that moment. And then what I'd say is reconnect. What I'd encourage you to do is reconnect with your commitment to that task. Like, oh, I forgot all morning. I'm just going to keep trying. With that kind of lightness to it, not, not a kind of like, oh, I'm going to keep trying. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do this. Just a really light touch. It's like, oh, I'm just going to keep trying. That intention, that kind of connection to that intention to keep trying will bear fruit over time. And you'll start, what I, what I noticed when I first started doing this, and this actually was my very first mindfulness practice when I started meditating, um, I wasn't interested in sitting meditation, but I was interested in becoming mindful, learning about mindfulness, and watching my mind. And so the, the first thing I started was this kind of a practice. I did two, actually. I did one about a difficult emotion, and I did one while switching between Dawson windows on my computer. It was 90s. <laughs> so that, that happened regularly through my day, that activity. And so that, this was, my, this was my, f- my first practice. And what I discovered is that I committed to it. I said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to remember when I switch between Dawson windows on my computer. Um, and for the first few days, it would be like I'd remember at lunchtime. I had a little bit of a break, and I'd remember at lunchtime. It's like, oh, I didn't remember once. Oh, oh, well, here. What is it like now? And I'm just going to keep trying. And then when I was going to bed at night, making my bed, oh, I didn't remember all afternoon. Oh, but here I'm mindful now. What's it like to be making my bed and thinking about going to bed? And then, so, and then recommitting, and I'm going to keep trying. And then just get on with your day. You don't have to try to hold on to mindfulness there. It might have a little bit of momentum. I mean, it's, it's almost like when we become mindful, there's a little burst of of momentum with that mindfulness. And it might have a little bit of a, you know, it might linger for a few seconds or even a minute. It might. 
And you can check into that. You can see, you know, wow, this is, I'm mindful now, and it's not hard. I'm just aware. And then just see how long that lasts. You know, just kind of that light touch. And what I found doing this is that over the course of a number of days, remembering that I hadn't noticed my task happened more and more. I began noticing it like seven or eight times in the day that I hadn't noticed. And yet what I could see was, oh, I'm noticing more that I haven't noticed. There's more moments of remembering. And I'm getting a little bit of this hit of, I'm awake now, I'm aware now. So I just kept going. And then at some point, I remember, I remember so clearly the this, this state of mind that happened is like I, I switched between Dawson windows and then a split second later I realized, oh, it just happened. I missed it, but it just happened. And then, um, and again, just I'm going to keep trying. And, and so what I was seeing was that the, um, the attention or the kind of remembering was like getting closer to the event getting closer to the task. And then at some point, I began noticing it. Now, at that point, what I find happens with these tasks is that, you know, as you, as you can start noticing when it happens, I mean, there's a whole bunch of things we can start exploring about intention and knowing that you're going to do something before you do it, kind of delving a little more deeply into what's going on in, in, our, in the mental realm of our experience. And so it's, it's, a, it's like a doorway for us into a deeper exploration as we begin to notice it happening. Um, but we also, what I also found is that as I, as I connected with that, then what happened is that that activity began to be a wake-up bell for me. That I could be lost in thought and then have to switch between Dawson windows and then boom, it's like, oh, the, ta- the activity itself kind of created the, the reminder of mindfulness. And so I got a whole lot more of those moments of mindfulness during my day. Now remember, you know, so this is, this is kind of like, in some ways, it's kind of like training wheels. You know, we're, we're picking something simple to help us notice when we're mindful, how much we're mindful. It's not so much about, you know, what can I learn from switching between Dawson windows? It's more cultivating this capacity to wake up in daily life, to be aware in daily life, and to begin to see that we can do that. And so very much I think of this, um, you know, this, this moment of remembering. You know, the more moments of remembering you get, and the more you see that effortless quality of that, it's like then that piece... The, the, that piece can begin to become a mindfulness bell also. That we begin to recognize what it feels like to become aware. This is really the point of these exercises. To begin to notice what it feels like when mindfulness returns in the midst of daily activities. And it happens. It's already happening way more than you think. It happens a lot during our day that we get just this little moment of, of the mindfulness surfacing. But what happens in that moment is that we kind of leap on or kind of our attention kind of gloms onto what we have become aware of. And then we start thinking about it. It's like that example of seeing, you know. We see something and then we start thinking about it and our mindfulness goes out. 
But if we can begin to get familiar with that moment of mindfulness returning, then that begins to point itself out to us in our day. And there's, there's way more of those than you think. And that begins to create a, like a thread of mindfulness through our day, just beginning to notice those moments of mindfulness returning. So that's the first activity to, to, to play with. And those of you who've done this retreat a lot before, you're welcome to just go right to noticing the moments of mindfulness returning. Um, what also people seem to, seem to um, mention having done many of these retreats before is that um, whatever tasks they've picked in previous retreats, it's almost like they immediately start becoming mindfulness bells as we enter into this. Somebody told me they, you know, they did washing hands one retreat and the next retreat they were picking something else, standing up. And she said, but every time I wash my hands, mindfulness is there. So, you know, this is, this is one of the benefits. Each time you pick a new activity and then you get more and more activities where mindfulness becomes habituated. And, and then you get more moments of mindfulness, more mindfulness through our day. And remembering again, the purpose behind it is to begin to explore and understand our minds. The task that I'm suggesting you pick right now, I suggest it be a pretty neutral one. One where there's not going to be a lot of charge around it. Um, because it's really useful to have some practice around the return of mindfulness, not be in a situation where it's like, oh my gosh, I'm noticing all this pain or noticing all this frustration and anger and confusion. But just like, oh, I'm noticing a simple action. So there's a point to making, to having a task that's really just a kind of neutral thing. The second, the second piece that I'll encourage is, uh, is picking something that lasts a little bit longer. And in this case, we'll call this a chore, it could be a chore of some kind, making your bed in the morning or preparing a meal or brushing your teeth or the whole kind of morning um, ritual that you do after you get up and bathe and wash your face, whatever you do. Uh, picking some activity that lasts anywhere from two minutes to ten minutes. You can pick a short one or a longish one. Um, and then exploring for that activity... It's, it's a little bit of a prompting of the mindfulness there. Just to see if you can encourage the mindfulness to be sustained for that short period of time in the midst of, again, a kind of a neutral activity. And so while, if you notice, for instance, washing dishes or something or loading the dishwasher, you know, just... Um, and what I'd encourage here is um, often these kinds of activities are something that happens in a certain place or a certain time. And it can be useful to put, a, like if you're doing brushing teeth, put a big note on your mirror so that you will remember to practice this kind of little bit longer stretch of mindfulness. Or put a big, big sign in front of your sink. <laughs> it says, mindful while washing dishes. Something to help you remember while you're doing that. So that there's a little bit of prompting there. And then, you know, then it's, again, it's try a really light touch with this. Just kind of like you could explore the similar kind of thing that we explored in walking. Seeing, hearing, movement. Seeing, hearing, movement. Or just what's obvious. 
what's obvious right here? What's, what, what's, what's, you know, washing dishes, maybe what's obvious is warm water. Maybe there's a relaxation when your, your hands are in the warm water, and then maybe there's a resistance when something's, you know, uh, is sticky on the plate, you know, then you notice a little constriction. Just noticing what's going on. And then you might notice that the mind wanders, you get caught in some kind of thought about what you need to do in the future or something from the past, and, and, and yet maybe you'll wake up again, maybe you'll see your sign, and then again, just start again. And so this is a practice that gives you a little bit of a, a playing with a light touch of connecting with mindfulness in an, a more extended period of time. And so this is a, the light touch that I'm talking about here is just like, uh, okay, I'm aware, what's obvious? And how about now, am I aware again and what's obvious? So just, you know, just not trying to dig or dive in, but just take what's offered. What's obvious here? Body standing here, thoughts running through. Whatever's obvious. So I want to stop for a moment and see if there's any questions. Let's see what my timing looks like here. Yeah, let's, let's take some questions or comments. Yeah, first and second. <laughs> Um, I understand that you want us to focus on the basic tasks, but I'm assuming this is going to at some point lead us to our emotions and, you know, controlling all of that. So one thing I'll say is that during these retreats, I I usually offer these as our basic tools. Mm -hmm. And then uh, for the last hour, I talk about something that's a little more juicy Mm-hmm. And so I'll try to orient us all to attending to some particular area. And this week, our theme is the hindrances. So we'll get, we'll get, okay, <laughs> we'll get some practice there, too. <laughs> and also, you'll start to notice, you know, in these simple activities, you know, you may start to notice, like, the frustration that arises as you're doing your activity. Or, you know, so you, you may start to notice some of that in those activities as well. Just, just, and, and you don't have to ignore that, but just, oh, okay, frustration is here. Yeah. Um, I have a following up question with the question she asked before. The Hold suffer- the mic a little closer. Oh, sorry. I have a follow-up question, the question she asked before okay. about suffering. And how about, like, if we cannot control that situation? Like, we didn't do that. It's our out of our control. Yes. How can we stop that thought? Because it's not our mistake and we cannot do more than this. We did the best thing. How can I explain myself? I cannot do more than that. So, so the question is, you know, really looking at the... So much of our suffering comes because uh, in relationship to things that are out of our control. Um, and it's not a mistake that things are out of control. It's the nature very much the nature of much of our experience that, yeah, people do things, things happen externally, things even happen internally that, that we don't have control over. And yet the suffering isn't 
The suffering that the Buddha is pointing to isn't the unpleasantness of that uncontrollability, isn't the unpleasantness of the situation or the, um, you know, the in, inner discomfort, maybe, uh, you know, for instance, an illness, you know, is a condition that we don't have control over and there's physical unpleasantness that relates to that. Unpleasant experience is going to happen. This is natural. Some experience is pleasant, some experience is unpleasant, some experience is more neutral. What we do have some uh, capacity to work with, what typically happens when we experience something unpleasant. And, and the experience of something being out of control is often an unpleasant experience itself. And so that's, you know, we react. We react to that. We don't like it. We don't like that it's out of control. That not liking, that's suffering. The, uh, the feeling that of hatred around something somebody else might be doing, that hatred is suffering. And so there's a possibility of opening to that response, opening to, oh, hatred is arising, not liking is arising. We're not trying to tell ourselves somehow, like, oh, I'm meditating, I'm being mindful, not liking should not arise, hatred should not arise. No, that's actually what we start to see is when our minds move there and we begin to recognize, oh, this not liking, it creates a constriction internally. This hatred, it creates a hard heart and it hurts to have that hard heart. Now, our, the hatred has the story that the only way, something like this, you know, the only way for this hatred to go away is for the, uh, the, the other person to either stop doing that thing or for me to get control somehow, or for me to be able to take myself out of this situation somehow. The hatred has that story. And so it can't fathom that there's another response that's possible, which is opening to that suffering, opening to that recognition of uncontrollability, opening to the discomfort of the situation, and exploring and experiencing it from a perspective of compassion, and acting from compassion rather than hatred or anger or frustration. And yet the way to that isn't to try to somehow adopt or pick up and say, oh, I'm going to feel compassionate about this situation. Because that's just kind of like not really acknowledging the truth, the dharma of what's happening right now is, is, is hatred is arising or frustration is arising. And so that's the realm of practice there is what does it feel like to be a human being in these conditions? These conditions are around uncontrollable conditions, and this is the response of this being in this moment, to feel this hatred, to feel this frustration. What does frustration feel like? What is the human experience of frustration? That is a very different relationship to the whole experience than to buy into the hatred or frustration and kind of jump on that horse and believe all of those thoughts that, that hatred tells us. So this gives us an opportunity to, to learn from a different perspective of how might it be possible to touch in. I mean, what happens when we touch into with a heart that's not constricted? A heart is not constricted or hardened or squeezed down around the situations in the world. 
as we, wa- as we walk through the world and our heart is not squeezed down, it kind of like is resonating and responding to suffering and joy and love and, and, and the, the heart is just kind of in the, I think of it almost like jelly or jello, you know, it's like when the heart is not hard, it's kind of just reverberating with what's happening. And through that reverberation, you know, it's like a ripple through the heart as it sees or meets some kind of suffering. It ripples. We feel that suffering. We feel, maybe it's external suffering. Maybe we see somebody else suffering. And it ripples through our hearts. And if we're, if we're constricted, it's, it, it doesn't, it, it, it kind of moves us into that reactive mode. If our heart is more in the jelly-like stage, it kind of ripples through, and then th- then there can be some wisdom that comes up and offers a different response. And so, I hope that's helpful. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like uh, someone else is suffering. Like I'm just giving, a sh- for example, like uh, I sell some product which is for patients, and my computer got hacked, so my patient sample is on hold, so I feel bad. Because yes. I cannot do anything, because I don't have my computer, so I ask my colleagues to do it, but they're busy. So kind of I feel bad, like she, she, her sample will be suffering because of me. And yes. Well, I cannot not, do anything, And not though. because of you, because of the circumstances. Yes. And so that's, that's a piece, that's a suffering that, that your mind is picking up. It's my fault. Is it your fault? No, but uh, I tried uh, contacting you, my colleagues too. Yeah, and you tried. You did but what she's you could. Paying us. <laughs> you, you did. You tried. You tried the best you can. Have you have you contacted her and explained the situation? Yeah, uh, and I tried contacting other colleagues to date so that I should work out. So yeah. it cannot because it's a blood thing. So it will be going into process tomorrow. So I kind of feel bad, like, I hope our sample should not get wasted. Well, so, so the feeling bad has two sides to it, I think. One is that when our hearts meet suffering in the world, that ripple through our hearts, it's uncomfortable. We feel suffering. When, some, when, when our hearts meet external suffering, internally we feel that. And so that's a piece of your, of your suffering there, is that you are kind of empathizing with your, with your clients or your patient, mm-hmm. your, your patient's suffering. And yet it sounds like there's some extra there in terms of picking it up and feeling like, I should, make this, I should be able to make this okay, and, and I'm bad or wrong somehow that I can't make it okay. That's extra. That's extra. But, the, but the, there will be, sometimes the the feeling of compassion is described as like a quivering in the heart. When the heart meets suffering, the heart responds with like almost an ache or a, 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 you know, it's like, yeah. The heart wants to act to alleviate that suffering and sometimes we can't. And so, you know, it's, it's, not, it's not that the feeling I think that the feeling that you're feeling, there's, there's a piece of it that's, that's actually wholesome and beautiful, that kind of resonance, that empathy, and a little bit of it that's extra. And so you might be able to find your way to, what's the empathy side, which is actually connecting. You know, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's an interconnect, it's kind of a love, it's a relationship to love, that connection, 
that we feel. When we feel somebody else's suffering, there's a, there's a connection of, of a form of love there. And, and you might be able to connect to that and then recognize what, what part of the feeling, the tightness, the uncomfortableness is extra. And again, it's not to try to get rid of that, but more notice, oh, this, I'm picking up, the mind is picking up, I'm at fault here. It's like, that's a belief. That's, that's a belief that's happening right now. Can I, can I notice that? Can I notice the frustration? Can I notice the, the disappointment? Whatever is coming up there. Not as a problem, but just again as this is a human experience so that we're looking at it in a different way. Yeah. Sorry for taking a lot no, of time. No, okay. it's okay. It's a, it's a question that comes up for a lot of people. So, yeah. Let's see, where are we? Um, yeah, we should take a break. Let's take a, a 10 minute break. Um, and then we'll come back and talk about it's kind of an, in a way following on from this because the hindrances is this kind of terrain. So um, we'll, we'll talk about working with the hindrances when we, we come back. So 20 of, 20 of will come back. Silent, silent mindful break. Thank you. And see if you can just explore the light touch of being aware in this 10 minutes. <laughs> 